Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Welcome to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com, the independent voice of UNC Sports, brought to you by JohnnyTShirt.com, the go-to provider for all your Tar Heel gear. I'm your host, Tommy Ashley, listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, JohnnyTShirt.com, certainly our great sponsors of this show and of the Inside Carolina website. Visit Johnny T-Shirt on Franklin Street, and online. They need your support. We shop local. They are as local as it gets for Chapel Hill, and they've got great gear for anything Carolina-related. Also, before I forget, take the time to rate this podcast via iTunes or however you get your podcast medium. If you're watching on YouTube, take time to subscribe to the Inside Carolina podcast. Somewhere on your screen, there's a, a link to subscribe. Inside Carolina always bringing the greatest content for North Carolina sports. Today is sort of an elite version of the 40 Club podcast. A lot of you have come to know our shows when we talk to former players. We call them the 40 Club podcast because it's a 40-year decision, not just a four-year decision when you pick a, a university or in a school. First, I need to introduce the important people in this show, and I'm going to start by my co-host. Uh, I said it before. I'll say it again. I'm going to embarrass him. Mr. Freddie Kiger, one of the pillars of North Carolina sports media. Freddie, I appreciate you taking time to join us. Tommy, what a treat to be asked to join you and to be with two very, very special people with Steven and of course with Larry. What a treat to be a part of this show. So thank you very much for extending that opportunity. Absolutely, no brainer choice to do it. I'm glad you agreed to do it. Freddie mentioned the guests we have. If you're on YouTube, you can see them. If you're on iTunes or listening in your car, you're going to have to wait till I introduce them. I'm going to start with an author, Mr. Stephen DeMorris. And Stephen is relevant to this podcast because he took the opportunity to write a book about one of the Carolina legends and probably one of the Carolina legends that hasn't, the story hasn't been told as much as some of the others, perhaps. Stephen, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. We're longtime Inside Carolina lurkers and, and posters. Yeah, and, and Catherine Walton was, when that email came through to me uh, to ask us to handle this show and to talk to you guys, uh, it was a, an easy yes. And, and so I want to start, and again, if you're on YouTube, I'll go ahead and sneak it to the listeners. Larry Miller's joining us. Mr. Miller, how you doing? Wonderful. Thank you very much for the invite. Absolutely. Well, this is, uh, this is your story, so I want to talk to Stephen about how this all came to be. If you've read the book, you know this story, but it's great hearing it. If you haven't read it, you need to pick it up as soon as possible. But Stephen, how did we manage to, of all the things that have gone on in 2020, how did we manage to be on this Zoom podcast right now? <laughs> well... I'm a New England Yankee who met a girl from Statesville, North Carolina in New York when we were writing a soap opera called Guiding Light Together. And um, 
when we got married, moved to Connecticut. Um, we were both basketball fans, although from different conferences, since I was in Big East territory. And she always told me how great North Carolina was and could always recite the 1968 Carolina lineup from when she was a preteen. And um, I, I kept hearing this name, Larry Miller, like it was God. And um, when we uh, eventually decided to move south and, and live outside Chapel Hill for decades now, uh, even though I'm still a new guy, I guess, um, we would go back to Rhode Island. And at one point, we stopped over in Allentown to break up the trip. And she looked up at the roadside and said, Catasauqua Road. Bing, Catasauqua equals Larry Miller. And she decided she was going to track him down and find him and um, uh, worked at it uh, on the internet and whatever and, and, and said, I'm going to get a cup of coffee and go knock on his door and say hello. Um, many of us would not do that. She, she is very intrepid. <laughs> and um, she, she uh, met him, went into the backyard where he was gardening and chatted with him and had a very nice 20 minute visit. He was very gracious about this stranger um, dropping in on him. And as we drove down the Shenandoah back to North Carolina, um, she was, we just, a lot of, we began to realize there's a whole story here that has not been told. Everybody knows about Carolina from the TV and the Final Fours and, and Michael Jordan onward. But, but there's very little of Larry on, on tape. There was no ESPN. There, uh, you know, there was like one Saturday game a year. This was like when, before, when there were only three TV channels really back in the 60s. So, um, and she had found out from chatting with him in his garden that he has a lot of stories to tell. And, and um, about, a, about a week after we got home, she received an envelope in the mail. And it's got, you know, we, I guess she'd been talking about the television business and he had a, um, a headshot from when he was uh, taking classes at Universal when he was playing for the LA Stars. But also in that was a letter that she had written him 50 years previously. Um, and this was like, I call it a message in a bottle from the past. Um, it was like, made the whole project seem like kismet. And of course, Larry just sent all his stuff home to his mom throughout his whole career. And she just put it in a trunk. He didn't even know it was there. But after her visit, he went and dug around in there. And sure enough, there was this letter she'd written him in the past. And um, at that point, we, we pressed him to, uh, to tell his stories in a, in a way that, that uh, everybody could become part of because everybody, had, he'd been so beloved while he was um, down there. And I, I called her the Larry Whisperer. I don't know that anybody else in the world could have gotten Larry to uh, um, feel comfortable um, telling these stories. And I basically said to him at the start, I want to tell this from your point of view. Uh, um, and he said, great, because I want everybody to have a good time. I'm not looking to expose anybody or, or have, you know, criticize anybody. I had a great ride and I want the reader to have a great ride too. And I said, fine. So if you tell me everything that you want to say, I'll let you look at it when it's done. Everything, anything you don't like, it doesn't have to be in there. But he, 
95% of what he told me is in there. You know, we deleted a few names to not embarrass some people, but, but um, and it was a really, a, the, the whole project was a pleasure, especially um, talking to a lot of his old teammates who were delighted to hear that he was doing this, couldn't believe it. But, um, you know, Bobby Lewis talked to me for an hour, Billy Cunningham talked to me for an hour, Jim Delaney talked to me. I mean, all, all of these, um, so me, meeting his, his buddies and getting the sense of how his team felt about him uh, made it a fun project for me too. It's, uh, if you're watching on YouTube, here's the book. Go get it. It's great. I put all my sticky notes in here on different things that caught my eye. I ran through more than one sticky note pad. Um, so what I want to do is I want to bring in this man that we're talking about. And Larry, I said hello earlier, but I know that from reading the book, people talking about you and, and about your accomplishments is not your most favorite thing. So you're going to have to bear with us because we're going to spend a little time doing it. No problem. Uh, I enjoyed that ride. So uh, I enjoyed talking about it. Well, let's, let's look at two-time ACC player of the year, only Carolina player to do that, two-time All-American, still to this day, your seventh on the all-time scoring list at Carolina, the only other three-season guys ahead of you are Lenny, Rosenbluth, and Charlie Scott. And I think – and I want to ask you this just right out of the gate, and then we'll sort of go through your history. But I don't think there's any Carolina historian, and I hope Mr. Kiger will agree with me, that does not believe that Larry Miller is one of the, if not the most important pillar – in the legacy, legacy and the dynasty that Dean Smith ultimately built. Can you share what hearing that and what thinking about that means to you personally? Well, it's, it means that I was very fortunate to come along when I did and very fortunate to make that decision. Uh, a lot of people say he was lucky to get me. Well, I was lucky to get him. And the timing was so incredible because they were going through that transition period. And uh, even though it started out, if I could have played as a freshman, who knows what would have happened because Billy Cunningham was there, Bobby Lewis was there. And the three of us could have been really an awesome uh, trio and we probably could have taken Carolina, you know, pretty well into the playoffs. But times weren't, you know, they didn't call for that. So fortunately, when I was there, fortunately, and I say this incredibly selfishly that these guys that followed me came along, that I had the opportunity to help recruit these guys. And had, had they not followed me, the story would not be anything to talk about right now because it was an incredible uh, convergence of talent and good people that came together at that time. And we were fortunate to, to all meet up and, and move forward. So I'm, I'm the focal point of it, but certainly not the reason why it all happened. Uh, I hope I explained a little bit. Yeah, it's um, like I said, for me, um, you were a little bit before my time personally. 
Um, but I know plenty about the Carolina process and my brothers were older, my father, of course, and they always talked about Larry Miller and Bobby Lewis. And um, of course my dad graduated from Carolina in 50. So he was right around the time Rosenbluth came after that one national championship, but you guys sort of came in and set the tone. Uh, Let's back up a little bit to, um, your time in Pennsylvania. And this is something, this is a question I always ask people, and I hope it's not too deep or, or philosophical or whatever, but reading this book about you and reading about your time in, in high school and through there, uh, the one thing that came out to me was the toughness that you played with. And when we talk about great athletes, I've always said that person is different. And it, it's a positive thing to say but that person's different or they have it one thing and then I'm going to defer to Mr. Kiger for a little while but one thing I wanted to ask you is how much of your grit toughness whatever you want to call it when you were growing up came from within maybe a a, you know God-given innate ability versus how much of that was instilled in you by your folks uh, by your community and by the times that you grew up in? Well, I can tell you right now, uh, my father kicked a lot of it into me <laughs> because <laughs> I, was a, I was a bad boy back then. And I could have taken, uh, taken all that energy into somewhere else. But, uh, you know, starting with the time he caught me smoking and then kicked my butt for, you know, a, a good mile or so. Uh, and... <laughs> made, made me stay out of a, uh, a swimming suit for about two weeks. Uh, I start. I took all that energy. He gave me a basketball, and I took that all that uh, wayward, unfocused energy and and put it into that. You know, sports and um, and it became. Uh, I didn't know I had it in me. But uh, I had a I had a work ethic that was probably as good or better than anybody. I mean, I could actually go until I couldn't go, and then go some more. Uh, mm-hmm. And that later on in my life, I ran three marathons uh, without drinking any water. One of the first one I ran without I couldn't take any water because I didn't know how to drink when I was running. So I ran that whole time without taking any water in. So, but that just goes to show you that. I took all that negative energy and put it into the, you know, the work and then other people, you know, he made me weights, he made me uh, workout stuff. Uh, but that, that became an obsession with me just to work out and, and to, to get better. And, uh, it probably came from the people around me, but it definitely came from my father, my family, uh, that supported me in that effort. But uh, uh, to this day, uh, I still have that, believe it or not. I, I can still, uh, I, I walk certain places when it's, you know, almost every day I walk three or four or five miles and I'll carry, I'm delivering books right now. <laughs> <laughs> People who are three miles away ask me for some books. So I said, oh, good, I'll, I'll bring them right up. And I put them in my backpack and walk them up there. So <laughs> I'm still doing it. I'm still crazy. Larry, at what point when you were 
growing up became the realization that you were pretty good at what you were doing, regardless of whether it was football, baseball, or basketball? Was there a realization moment when you went, hey, I have something that I can build upon? Seventh or eighth grade, I believe it was, that uh, I knew I was going to be pretty good because uh, when I was playing with the older guys, I'm talking about some pro athletes, I was, I was holding my own. So I, I knew I could do it then. But at that time, you know, you, I was, wasn't as big as I was, uh, so I didn't know exactly, you know, if I was going to grow any bigger or if, uh, what I was going to play, but I knew I could play somewhere. And that's always been my gift is that I could play on certain teams. Like, it didn't matter to me if I scored, but if I got on the court, I would help the team, you know, either by rebounding, stealing the ball, playing defense, whatever it was. You know, I could help. And fortunately, there was a few coaches that recognized that and gave me the opportunity you know, to play. Well, one of those coaches happened to be right about the time you were ready to go to the next level of play was a gentleman by the name of Vic Bubis. Absolutely, yeah. Vic how, how are we at, of, of Carolina lore, how close was it that Larry Miller wound up in a royal blue uniform. Well, I would say you were, uh, the morning I chose the school of my future, I didn't know where I was going. I woke up that morning, which was graduation night. I think it was June 8th, pretty close. And uh, I still hadn't absolutely decided which school to go to. And I asked my mother and my father, I said, okay, folks, now you've been, you've met all the people, all the players, you've been to the schools. Where do you want me to go? Where, where do you think? I'm not asking you to tell me where to go. I'm asking you what, where you think I should go. And uh, lo and behold, my parents were so, so uh, miraculously uh, perceptive that they didn't, no matter how much they wanted to or, or thought, they wouldn't tell me their opinion. Because you heard about a lot about players being forced to go to certain schools by their parents. Well, I was totally opposite. They wouldn't tell me where they wanted me to go. Well, you know, we love we loved Coach Bubis. We love Coach Smith. Uh, and we love the schools. And Larry, it's up to you. And so that was their, that was their input to my decision. So uh, I probably made it sometime that afternoon or something like that. Well, and Ken Roseman had a lot to do with that decision as well, sitting on the front porch with your dad, uh, sipping on PBRs, if I remember correctly. He said he didn't even like beer either, but I did, so that was good. <laughs> I was happy with him drinking a beer with us. Yeah, he was a wonderful man, Southern gentleman all the way. How much, and there's a quote in the book, um, and I'm paraphrasing because I want people to read it for themselves. How much was the quote, um, well, if you go to Duke, you're going to realize you're just five minutes from heaven. Uh, yeah, I heard that. I heard a lot of stuff like that. But uh, <laughs> I did feel comfortable being at Chapel Hill and with the players and, and the students and stuff like that. I think unfairly 
Duke didn't have the social environment that Carolina had. And back then I kind of liked to hang out. That was my weakness. Was Billy Cunningham a big part of those who here in school helped look after you, so to speak, helped make your transition comfortable? Uh, look after me was probably the wrong word. At least probably had to uh, chase me, chase after me, <laughs> keep me straight. No, but Billy was, uh, well, I had a ball with Billy. Uh, he was a wonderful guy to, you know, to hook up with. Because the first time down there, uh, the famous deal was they had a student gathering for me at, uh, I think it was Woolen Gym. And uh, uh, they, they he said they have a, they want the students to meet you. Uh, you know, I don't know how many they had there, but they were going to greet me and all that stuff. He said, would you rather go there or would you rather go down to the shack for a beer? <laughs> I said, what are you kidding me? <laughs> so I'm sorry to the students that, you know, we stood up that day, but ultimately I got there. What, um, how is it to, to play and be such a, a great high school star and then have to go to college and sit for a year. I know there was a freshman team, but how, how would people today can't fathom that being the way things are. How was that for a guy like you coming down from Pennsylvania with plenty of reputation and then having to basically watch the JV or play on the JV team for lack of a better way? Well, that, that was tough, but I, you know, I knew that coming in what the situation was and I don't know that, there were many schools that you could play as freshmen back then. So it wouldn't have made much difference if I went somewhere else. Right. It's just a different time. Yeah. I mean, especially today when we've got all these guys that play very little as a, or play as a freshman and move on or skip yeah. it all together. Exactly. Um, yeah. Well, there was no way. I mean, at that time you were on the freshman team and you just, you just couldn't play. I mean, there was a big to-do about Phil Ford being able first to play as a freshman uh, because it just wasn't possible, which also made those late 60 and early 70 games freshman games that you did not want to miss when you started talking about the Larry Millers and uh, uh, the, the collection of talent that came into Duke and to NC State right here. It was not to be missed. Yeah, and, and it's just, like I said, the expectations were known, but I just think it's still looking back, given how things are today, that's just wild to me that they didn't. I know why they did or, or why they said they did. So you're, you're a freshman in Chapel Hill. Um, you, you freely admit you like to hang out. Descri <laughs> describe yeah. that freshman year, because I know how it was for me as just a regular student, how was that freshman year for Larry Miller, the the present and future basketball star at Chapel Hill? Well, it, it was a great experience. I, you know, I can't deny that. Uh, I Certainly, I went to parties, you know, at, fratern at fraternities and stuff like that, and probably a sorority or two. But, uh, <laughs> the... Uh, that was a whole new thing. I, it just, it just, uh, it, Southern hospitality is the word for it. Uh, uh, 
it was wonderful. I mean, I, I can't say anything else about it. it uh, I'm going to take that up to a next level. And Stephen captured this so extremely well. Larry, how was it with your happy-go-lucky nature, your uh, freestyle living, if you will? Because Coach Smith had practices down to the minute. How did the free wheeling mix with Coach Smith's structure? Uh, very well. Uh, I mean, I understood. Uh, rules are rules, and the coach is a coach. Uh, no matter how hard I played outside of the, the arena, so to speak, uh, I I never – I don't think I was ever late to the practice. So, uh, yeah, so, I respected that very much. That was an, an that was an interesting dichotomy in the book, um, but when you crossed the lines, or when it was trying to walk on the court, the lines of the court, it was all business. No question. I'm going to jump in right now and talk about our sponsor, Johnny T-shirt and JohnnyT-shirt.com. Of course, on Franklin Street and online, get everything you need Carolina-related. Football gear is important now. Football season about to get started. But, of course, if you're listening to this podcast, you're also interested in basketball and basketball gear, uh, whether it's jerseys, shirts, hats, whatever you need, Johnny T-Shirt and JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Get all you need anytime, any day of the week, 24-7 online, or go by and see them at the store. They'll greet you at the door, give you your order, help you out, do whatever you need. Great customer service. Inside Carolina premium subscribers, of course, get 10% off your everyday order. Take another short break. Pay the bills. Be right back. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, shit. what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing. We're back with more on the Inside Carolina podcast. I have Larry Miller with us, sort of the 40 club with Larry Miller time. Let's get back to it. Describe the opportunity uh, to get out there your sophomore season. Uh, Coach Smith had a, a rough – these days, Coach Smith probably doesn't last um, given – the nature of the beast that is college coaching or coaching in general. Um, but just speak to your experience there at Carolina building the program. I don't want to get too far in the weeds about specific games, but um, when did you as a, a player and part of this team understand that you guys were moving the needle for Coach Smith? Well, we didn't really know. Uh, and that's the, that's the interesting point at, 
the end of my sophomore year, and like I told you before about recruiting these guys, by the end of my sophomore year, we we were in flux basically. Uh, we didn't know about Coach uh, Coach Smith's future, but also about ours. I mean, we talked about uh, you know transferring or something like that. I mean, I don't know how serious it was, but uh, we actually talked about because even after we signed uh, the, all the the guys that followed up. You know, the Rusty Clark, Rubar, Joe Brown, and Bill Bunning area, we got those guys. We didn't know how they would turn out. So uh, you, you never know. Uh, that was, it was a tough period. But fortunately, that class panned out, and then we got Charlie, and, and everything started falling together. Then after that, I mean, it was a piece of cake recruiting for Coach Smith because, I mean, we, <laughs> We had a lot of guys come down to Carolina to check it out, you know, as recruits. Uh, but the guys that came was what what made it, uh-huh. and that was the, the difference. Yeah, that class of 1969 was the um, was the pad of butter that made things really, really take light and and, and do well. And then, of course, Charlie came. You were very instrumental in helping um, the campus and the community welcome Charlie Scott, were you not? Oh, yeah. I was there when we recruited him, and we had a good time with him, even though he didn't say a word uh, during dinner and stuff like that. But we pulled him aside afterward and told him that uh, we really wanted him at Carolina and that if he came there, even though it was a period of uh, racial you know, divide, basically. It was just, you know, becoming uh, integrated, stuff like that. We told them, you come here, you're part of the team, we'll protect you. You know, you don't have to worry about, you know, anybody going to bother you or anything like that. And if you come here, you're going to have a chance of winning the national title. And that's what we promised. And uh, I think he, he, li- he liked that. He trusted us. Yeah. To this day, I think he's he's real happy with that decision. Mm-hmm. He he's spoken. He has been on this podcast and talked about that and you guys back then and working him through that those times those rough times potentially rough times um, that he could have had down here in North Carolina. Uh, let's talk. Let's let's move to your your senior year. Um, you guys have gotten really good. You're going into the the tournament. Um, let me back up. ACC tournament. This is another thing, people, and I want to draw the contrast. It didn't matter how good your team was when you played. If you didn't win the ACC tournament, you were done. How much pressure is that on, on players, or is it just another one of those things that it is what it is for you guys back then? I mean, is it added pressure knowing that, we may be really good, but if we lose this game, we're not going to the NCAA tournament and it's all over with. How did players deal with it back then? Well, I don't know how other players dealt with it, but uh, it was uh, – I told my parents, I said, look, uh, you come down any game of the year, no problem, but you can't come down during the ACC tournament. I said, because I am so focused, because uh, it was a playoffs, basically, uh, 
no matter what anybody says, it was the playoffs. And if you were in the ACC back then, you had to win seven games to win a national title, not six. And we actually won six straight games. So, but I told my parents I couldn't come down because I, I, I can't sleep at night. I, I, I walk around all day long, pacing around and uh, uh, just waiting for the games. But once the games start, I'm okay. But it's just thinking about them. And uh, that was probably the most stressful times. And then after it was over and we won the games, then I, I was like, I couldn't sleep. And I couldn't sleep after the game. And the next day, even not had slept at all, I get in the car, put the top down and drive for hours, putting music on just because I was so happy it was over with and we won. Uh, it, it was incredibly, incredibly intensely pressurized uh, experience. Yeah, that's a definite difference from college basketball today versus your time. Um, the ACC it was tournament. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I think most people, when they look back in the ACC, they think of the Maryland NC State game. Um, one on one, yeah, 100 points. Yeah, when those guys, you, you lose and you're done. Um, let's talk about the 1968 season a little bit. Um, this is probably the year. You look back over the course of Dean Smith and North Carolina basketball and there are years that you see and you say, well, Carolina should have won or, or easily could have won the national championship. You guys got to the edge. Right. Uh, describe that feeling there, um, working your way through the ACC tournament, through that NCAA tournament, and then being in the Final Four, knowing what was coming as far as – uh, who was going to be there? Because there was little doubt who was going to be on the other side of the bracket for the most part during those times. Yeah, well, during that uh, year, uh, Houston had beaten uh, UCLA down in Houston. That was the first nationally televised game college basketball, I believe. Uh, yeah. We watched that, and incredibly, Houston won. And then the pregame, the, uh, the game before we played, we had just been in Ohio State, and we watched that UCLA when they come back and I guess they won by 40 points or something like that. It was something almost ridiculous. But uh, we still knew we had to play them. But in my mind, to this day, and I don't care who, who you talk to, I still think we had we had the better team. Because if you look at the players – our five and their five, just put them there. Uh, I think we had a great matchup other than Al Cinder, but Rusty was, Rusty, you know, he could, against Bob Lanier, he had, uh, what, 27, 27 rebounds or something like that, something ridiculous, almost 30. So uh, he could hold his own. And uh, Charlie was there, you know, we had talent. We just, we made the decision to slow it down, and that we averaged 85 points that year, 87 or 100. So we felt we sh we should run with them, and we didn't. So I don't know. That's one of my questions. Was Larry? Do you do you think back that if you could have one of those moments that you could do over, you would have liked to have gone into that first half and run with UCLA? Because I remember watching the game. And thinking that we just looked 
uncomfortable. We, we looked tepid. We didn't uh, – it wasn't the same Carolina team that I recall watching throughout the season. Yeah, that's it. I mean, we just weren't. And, you know, it is what it is, like you said, but uh, I, don't, I don't have regrets, but, you know, because we can't wish over in this life. You got to live with what you did, but uh, uh, we got there. Yeah, you did. Who – you got – you had some wonderful teammates back then, and, and the book details a lot of those relationships. But looking back now, who who are the guys – I don't want to say favorite teammates because I, I know the answer. Yeah, we can. Usually they're, all, they're all still favorites. I, I, I still get keep in touch with all of them. So. Yeah, so, so – you know, you had Bobby Lewis your first couple of years and all. You had Grubar there. Uh, I mean, describe those Carolina teams for people like me or people younger than me that don't realize that a man that's 6'3", 210 pounds, you, can be such a physical presence on the court. Um, and describe how the game was back then because there's some great stories in the book Stephen provided that, you know, there were – a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat back then. A lot of physical, yeah, it was. A lot of contact. Uh, how, was it, that, how was that for you to deal with on a nightly basis? No, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, didn't, I didn't mind getting under the boards and stuff like that. I, but the only problem was with practice with Rusty, his elbows came right up to my nose. So you know, <laughs> he stuck his elbows out, I get hit in the face all the time. But uh, the game was pretty much, you know, we, we, like I said, we averaged 85 points, you know, close to 90. Uh, we ran the ball, we, you know, moved it. And Coach Smith was, you know, not, not one to, uh, you know, Everybody took decent shots. We were just like freelancing. Oh. It was, we, we, we were organized, but we, were, we ran. And uh, that was our style and played good defense too. So we, I was proud of the teammates. As far as uh, who was my favorite, they were all my favorite. Uh, and, and I, I didn't run with them after we got in trouble for partying too much because I, I didn't want to cause anybody else any problems. I, after that, I just kind of hung out, hung out alone afterwards. <laughs> Who were your, some of your favorite listening, some of your famous, favorite artists that you were listening to? I, all the time I've heard from so many people that you love to listen to albums, you love doing, you know, you enjoyed your rock and roll. Oh, you I had favorites? I had I had a, a a little portable record player I would take with me in, in along you know just stupid little records and then that was before they had I think they didn't have cassettes back then but uh, take this little record player with me on the road in the back of the bus and play it and stuff like that all the guys that were popular back then uh, you know you name it and I listened to it I I love the music yeah. And Carolina was a great place to, to see that stuff. They had all kinds of uh, uh, bands and, uh, you know, groups come in, great holidays, uh, festivals. It was really neat. They had all kinds of people come in. I saw some great groups down there. And uh, 
I got on stage with a couple too. <laughs> Mitch Ryder and the Detroit Wheels. Uh, you were dancing with the Mitch Ryder and Detroit yeah, Wheels. They come up there on stage. So, uh, yeah, we had uh, all kinds of great members. I could bring Stephen back in if I may. Hey, Stephen. Yeah. There are so many wonderful stories. The process of getting those stories from Larry, did it come fairly easy? Did it come easy to get the stories from him? Yes. I mean, was there any arm twisting that you have to kind yes. of maneuver to get Larry well, to open well, up that? Now, he, he enjoys talking about um, some of these episodes. I mean, as, as I noted in the book, some people name their car. He names his parties. Um, so uh, uh, those were those. And, and of course, the basketball stuff, too. Um, some of the things that I enjoyed the most was his interactions with um, the, the, the home front, in a sense. You know, the fact that this guy you know, saves the letter from the guy at the post office, you know, and, and the fact that he, he actually had, this doesn't really get into the book, but um, Larry's initial idea for this book was to do something with the fan letters he got from the younger kids when he was playing called These Crazy Carolina Kids. And he had correspondences with all these 10-year-olds um, when he had time to write the letters and stuff. So, so he... Um, he, you know, he wasn't just Joe Namath, you know, I mean, he's, he's kind of a mensch, you know, so, um, and, and that was, uh, and, and, you know, I, I love hearing the stories about hanging out with buddies these days. And, um, you know, I mean, who else would, would um, um, you know, say, be hanging around with his pals and saying, you know, I, I, I wonder how many people come to my funeral and they say, let's find out. And they decide to try it out, you know, um, that that's the kind of stuff that you you know you 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 don't go looking for that story you stumble across it, and um, um, I, I, it was just interesting to get to know him through an entire arc of a life from a high school kid to a retired guy as opposed to just the glory years, you know. So that 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 made it a richer book for me. Well, Larry, you were very wise to say you wanted this to be written as if. It would be a fun ride, and you could not have picked a better source. Uh, Stephen made it a fun ride. It was wonderfully written, and I felt like I was sitting at a bar, perhaps the shack with the dirt floor, <laughs> and listening to someone tell me all these fantastic stories. So kudos to you, Stephen, for your ability to do such. Well, it's, it, it, was, it was fun, and it, it was fun to hear other people tell stories about him, too like Joe Brown, the night that he fell asleep in a car and woke up in a roadhouse somewhere and didn't know where he was. You know, it's, uh, it, it's, it, I, I have an idea that, that uh, for all his buddies in, in school and, and all his teammates too, it was pretty nice to ride shotgun with Larry Miller. And I enjoyed it. Awesome. Larry and Stephen, I appreciate you putting it together. I, I don't want to keep you guys too terribly long because I, I know that um, everybody has other things to do, but I do have a, a couple questions. People on our message boards wanted to ask you some questions and I'll sort of generalize them. Can you talk about the, 
the rivalry. Well, let's talk about the rivalry you had with Duke or the Carolina Duke rivalry from your perspective, especially given um, how close it was that you went with Vic Bubis to Durham. Um, what was it like as a Carolina player then playing in that rivalry game? I'll ask you about NC State in a minute. Yeah, that was a, actually, uh, it was a very respectful rivalry. Uh, unlike some others, with uh, with Duke, it was they were a class act because they had Bubis there, Coach Bubis, and everybody played above board, and we respected each other. And they were they had great players there, so it, we it was one of the finest rivalries that you could possibly imagine. And even the Duke players would come over to Carolina to you know, party after games and stuff like that. So uh, of the rivalries, I, I enjoyed that one probably better than any, even though a title was usually on the line when you played against Duke. Yeah, you talk about they came over. They came over a plenty. I was at Carolina from 89 to 93, and those guys would come over all the time, party yeah. in Chapel Hill. And, and we talked to Jawad Williams. Uh, not too terribly long ago. And Jawad, I believe it was Jawad, said that it just sort of stopped several years back. And that's not a part of going back and forth to campuses, playing pickup on each other's campuses, just sort of quit back in the mid-2000s. And, and I think that's lost these days because the fans might not like each other, but certainly the, you know, the players had a, a mutual respect for each yeah. other. Exactly. You mentioned other rivalries. Um, was NC State maybe in that other rivalry category when you were in Chapel Hill? Yeah, it was. Sometimes it got it got bad. Yeah. Uh, tell us. Tell us about those games. Well, actually, I filed out the only game that, uh, that I think the only game I ever filed out in Chapel Hill was when we they broke out in a riot. You know. Basically, at the end of the game, so I, I couldn't get involved in it, you know, in this scuffle. But uh, it was a lot of, uh, you know, like dislike or something like that. I don't know what you want to say, but there was a lot of uh, physical, you know, not good physical play. So, yes. sort of like it is now. These days, I mean, the NC State rivalry has always been different for North Carolina. At least from the NC State side, there's a lot more, I don't like to say hatred, but there's a lot of that. Yeah. There's dis, especially on the football side, the guys talk about the, the mutual dislike there with NC State. It, yeah, I don't know what it was. I, I don't know how it started or what, but it was kind of that way. You're right. So let me ask you a couple more questions. and. Um, want to to don't want to intrude but i want to ask her any regrets that you have and if we want to leave it straight into carolina time we can but one thing from the book i've learned is you've lived one hell of a full life and to be honest as somebody that's just south of 50 at the moment um i hope one day i can say i lived as full a life as larry miller has but have you had any regrets over the course of your time here? 
Yeah, probably that I, uh, in the 1968 championship game, I didn't dunk over Al Center in the first play of the game. <laughs> because I, I had an opportunity. I went in there, we were kind of running the four corners, and I drove down the middle, and I tried to lay it up, and I clanked it. I should have just dunked it, you know, would have been disallowed, but it would have set the tone. So that's about it. That's awesome. Sort of like Pat Ewan trying to set the tone against Carolina in 82 by blocking everything that came anywhere near. Didn't work for him. But I was sitting on the third row of that game. Yeah, I read that in the book, and I'm thinking, what a great view. And I didn't see. even call Coach Smith to get tickets. I, I called Leonard Lay, my buddy from – who's a writer – and he got the Louisville band tickets for me. You know, I purchased them. Nice. So yeah. what does Dean Smith mean to you? Everything. He was, the, he was a great person. I'm, he was one of the uh, best people I ever met in my life. And uh, he was with me on my entire life. He's still with me today. So that's all I can say. Can't say any better thing. Larry, you have had such an incredible series of events. I mean, as Tommy has said, you've lived a full life and you've enjoyed the ride yourself. What part of that ride in Chapel Hill do you still hold closest to you? Uh, What's closest to you when you think back to your days here at the University of North Carolina? That I I chose it. That's probably the the, the closest thing I can say to anything about it that I chose the place. I, first Picasso, whatever you want to call it, uh, it, was, it was a choice that I could never regret. I mean, it, it just it is my life. Uh, it probably guided me throughout my life was Chapel Hill. Uh, just the thought of wherever I was in my life, I always thought of Chapel Hill. And you could always go back there and feel at home. And that, you can't say that about a lot of things. Uh, it was fortunate that I made that decision. I met such great people, uh, and I'm still enjoying them today. And uh, actually, uh, Monty Diamond is in a book with buddy, and Jim Delaney are coming through town uh, later on this month and visit. So uh, you, what better can you say about that place than – and it draws people. Yeah, you can always come home here. And I'll say this to both of you, uh, particularly to you, Larry. We're going to leave the front porch light on. <laughs> so you're always, always welcome in Chapel Hill and Carolina because there's so many people who have so many wonderful, fond memories. And all the good things in your life how wonderfully and how hard you have worked for them. Richly deserved. We're all very proud of you. Thank you very much. I, I'm proud to be part of the deal too. I'm, uh, I'm proud to be a Tar Heel. Always. Well, Charlie Scott said late in the book that sometimes you got to let people uh, talk good about you. Let me let you close the show in your own words. Uh, And we do it with all of these former players. And, you know, I think it's apt here. Larry, how do you want to be remembered? Oh, wow. We close it on a deep note. 
actually, just to be remembered and uh, know that you you made a made an imprint or an impression that people remember you uh, on a fondly, let's say, that uh, you tried to be uh, be as good a person as you could and treated people right and, and lived right. Uh, like I say, I can live with the earth. That's one of my biggest joys is to be in my garden. And uh, the way I treat the earth is the way I want to treat people to treat me and the way I try to treat them, uh, respect and, and uh, care, care for them. So I don't know, you guys are getting me real deep here. <laughs> well, uh, you, that was absolutely a great answer. And that's what I was looking for. And I think that everybody that's listening to this, watching this and that reads the book um, will agree with you that your hope to how you want to be remembered is how you will be remembered. And I, I want to, again, say thank you for taking the opportunity to talk to us and sharing your story. Um, Larry Miller time was a treat for me to read. It's a treat for all Carolina fans to read. And, and Larry, again, I, I've said it a million times. Thank you, sir. My pleasure. Absolutely. My pleasure. And I enjoyed meeting you guys. And awesome. hopefully we'll be talking again. Absolutely. Well, the, Freddie said the porch light is open. This computer <laughs> screen is forever open. And if one day we can get out of the, this social distancing stuff, yeah. maybe we can sit around and, and have that beer and, and talk about it all. Tell some more stories because I got a lot more. Uh-oh. <laughs> Part two. Volume two, Stephen. Volume <laughs> two. We held back, yeah, a lot. <laughs> Great times. Stephen, I, I, I just want to make sure. Uh, Stephen, thank you so much. Yep for picking up the ball, so to speak, and making this a project. Oh. This is just wonderful to have. I can't say enough how, because I know how, how much research you put in. And this is so well-researched um, and so well-written. Thank you for picking one of our favorites and running with it. Well, thank you. It was a great opportunity and sort of a labor of love, and I'm glad Glad people are happy with it. Absolutely. Many thanks to Larry Miller, Stephen DeMorris, and of course, Freddie Kiger, my host. You've been listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt and johnnytshirt.com. Rate us, review us, subscribe to the podcast. Be on the lookout down the road, maybe part two of Larry Miller time. <laughs> Guys, it's been a pleasure. That'll do it for us. Hello, Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another podcast from InsideCarolina.com. Brought to you by JohnnyT-Shirt.com. Where to go for your next Tar Heel gear purchase. It's the NFL offseason, but on Pick 6, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, the football season never stops. Host Will Brinson, John Breach, and Tyler Sullivan are joined by analysts like Brady Quinn, Leslie Ducible, Katie Mox, and R.J. White to keep you in the loop on everything happening around the league. Whether it's free agents signing with new teams, the all-important NFL draft, or schedule release day, Pick 6 has you covered. As the face of the league changes with every team move and player pickup this spring, Pick 6 is a must-listen. Download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and anywhere podcasts are found.